Oh, my friends, we are studying the book of Jude. This is the last little section of it. Would you pray with me and we'll study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. And though there have been difficult, difficult parts of it, we pray that we would do good things with it. In your name, amen. So I'm starting to think that Jude might be that guy. You know, that guy, he's, he's the one that starts off really, really promising, smiley, friendly, and then he becomes this total downer once you start talking to him a little bit more. He's that person that you run into in, in the grocery store and, and you know him and he's got this huge warm smile on his face and this inviting presence and, and you go up to each other and you greet one another and you're having this conversation and all of a sudden he, he peeks into your basket, which you didn't ask him to do, but he does anyway and, and he says something like, oh, ice cream, huh? You know, sugar kills people. Right? So last week, we, we waded knee-deep in, into Jude's warnings for the church against false teachers. He didn't pull any punches. He just laid it all out there, which, which I appreciate. I love the fact that Jude is short and to the point. You open up your Bibles on this, you're going to see Jude's got one page. One page. He could not be any clearer, except that just like that guy in the grocery store whose opinion you did not ask for, what are we supposed to do with this letter from Jude when we don't really think that the issue of false teachers is a big problem for us personally? It's really no different than, than when I do a sermon on adultery and you can't understand why we would even be talking about this in church since you are not personally an adulterer. Because if we're honest, most of us just really want sermons that directly impact our specific life right where we are right at this second. The wisdom of Jude's letter is that it does address right where we are in this very moment in the sense that as the church, we're always going to have to be aware that there are false teachers out there. But in this last section that we're going to talk about today, Jude is also projecting and showing us how it is that we prepare ourselves for the future and sustain our faith all the way until the end. That's valuable to us. And this information is stuff that we can use not just today, but all throughout our faith lives. Jude starts this section by assuring people that he's, he's done nothing, he said nothing, that is unexpected, that, that the people would have known this was coming. So he writes, but you, beloved, must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers indulging in their own ungodly lusts. It is these worldly people who are devoid of the spirit who are causing divisions. Now remember, when Jude was writing, his audience here is very specific. He's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. So this is a letter to the people that are in this room. And the part that we want to kind of hone in on here that's really worth our attention is, is that last verse. It is these worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, who are causing divisions. 
Because from the days of the early church, the church has divided itself and divided itself again and divided itself some more. And a lot of times those divisions are over very earthly things. Ah, the church is going to change its time of service. Divide. The church is going to change the color of its carpet. Divide. The church is going to change its music style. Divide. But there are also divisions that have come from far greater things that are rooted in different perceptions of theology, different understandings of, of Scripture. Now, in this case, though Jude is speaking specifically to divisions that, that rend the church apart. And if you have been paying attention to the news this week, you are probably aware that the United Methodist Church is going through what the Episcopal Church, what the Presbyterian Church have already been through, a very ugly debate that has the potential to divide the church. And that's, that's what happened in the Presbyterian Church, in the Episcopal Church. The debate happened and the church divided. This is nothing new. There have been divisions in the church since the very beginning. And Jude's statement about this is convicting these divisions are caused by worldly people who are devoid of the Spirit. The Presbyterian Church started its debate on these issues, the issue that would ultimately divide us, all the way back in 1978, which was the year that one of your pastors was born. When we were still discussing it, 35 years later, I asked one of my elder statesman's pastor friends, why, why is this taking so long for the church to resolve? And, and understand, when I talk about church, I'm not talking about Kirkwood, I'm talking about the larger church. And without the slightest hesitation, I mean, he didn't even think about this. He just came right back with money and jobs, which I, I thought was so strange. We're talking about the church. We're talking about God's people. Why is this a debate about money and jobs? And, and further explanation revealed that there were people who had spent their entire careers, entire careers spearheading advocacy groups for one side or the other side of this issue. And if these issues got resolved, then these people would be without jobs. So they had this vested interest in keeping this debate going as long as they possibly could. It was about their title and their importance and their influence, and it would all be gone if we solved it. That's not a faithful thing. That's not a spirit-led endeavor. That's a worldly issue for worldly people, and in the end, it hurts the church. Those who are devoid of the Spirit and still insist on inserting themselves into the church will, without question, bring about division. And the church has to be alert to this potential and nip it in the bud immediately. In Jude, he also leaves us instructions for the church of the faithful as we deal with this. Because the reality is that we can't just be on the lookout for false teachers. There's more that we have to be doing. And this is the part of the sermon that Pastor Sung has been waiting for, waiting for. Ever since I told him I was going to do a sermon series on Jude, he's like, you've got to get this in here. So what we have is we have Jude who has been 
incredibly negative. And you just want to grab him and you want to shake him and you want to say to him, do it with me, hey Jude, hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take, take a sad song and, and make it better. And, and, and so he does. Actually, God, God does. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We just can't. We just cannot spend every single waking second on the lookout for false teachers. And sometimes the best offense is a really solid defense. And so church, Jude says to us, we need to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep ourselves in the love of God and look forward to the mercy of Christ that leads to eternal life. How do we do those things? Well, first of all, we do exactly what we're doing right now. We study the word and we study all of it, not just the parts that we hear at weddings and at funerals and at Christmas and at Easter. We study all of the scripture. All of the scripture is valuable for teaching, preaching, and instruction. Because when we study all of the scripture, we get to hear about God's leading and God's testing, God's provision, and God's discipline. So we build ourselves up in faith when we surround ourselves with the fellowship of believers. And we open ourselves to accountability that can come from being part of a faith-filled community with those who are on the same journey as we are. Now, the idea of praying in the Holy Spirit, especially for those of you who are among the frozen chosen, and the word Holy Spirit is just scary to you, the idea of praying in the Holy Spirit is best explained by the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. This is what he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so what this means is we're supposed to pray according to the will of God, and we kind of sort of do that. We say, thy will be done, but do we really mean it? Because oftentimes what happens is we'll come to prayer and we already have the idea of what we want as the outcome. We're just trying to convince God to get on board with that. So, so instead, I love it when somebody comes to me and they say, I, I don't know what to pray for. Something's gone on in their life. There's, there's a whole bunch of chaos or they've got a friend that's going through something and they're, they're just like, I don't, I don't know what to pray for. Understand that that's a holy moment. That's a great moment, a great place to be because when you don't know what to pray for, but you're going to go before the Lord anyway, that's a Holy Spirit moment because you've left that space wide open for the Holy Spirit to come in and speak into your life. So don't ever be afraid to say, I don't know what to pray for. Give the Spirit the space to work. So this is when the believer's prayers are stimulated and they're guided by and infused with the Holy Spirit. If we pray in the strength of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will move in us 
and guide our decisions. So to that end, then, we can look forward to the mercy of Christ that's going to lead to eternal life. The problem with mercy, as we understand it, is that typically we think of mercy as a one-and-done deal. Oh, you did something wrong, you, you got some mercy. That's it. We're, we're done with that. But Scripture says that God's mercies are never ceasing. You have been shown mercy from the very first moment that you ever confessed your very first sin and for every sin since. God's mercy is like this wave, and it will carry you along until you reach the safety of the shores of eternity. It will roll with you. Now, all of the things that we just talked about are pretty much all about us, how this impacts us directly, what we do to take care of our own faith, which you need to remember, you have the ultimate responsibility for your own nurture and growth of your personal faith. Jude, however, pushes us a little bit further, helping us to look outside of ourselves with a compassion for other people. So Jude writes, and have mercy on some who are wavering, writes Jude. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Have mercy on still others with fear, hating even the tunic defiled by their bodies. In the, in the service that happens right before this one, we have a time of prayer, and people are able to, to call out their prayers. And one of the ladies asked for prayers for her cousin because her cousin had just lost her husband, and in the process of that, had also lost her faith. And you probably have met people like that who have gone through something, and they have lost their faith, or something has happened to them, and it has caused them to question or doubt. And, and Jude addresses this here. The wavering ones are the ones who are in doubt or who are hesitant about their faith. And, and in Jude's time, that was because of these false teachers who had created in them this, this uncertainty about the truth of Christianity. And Jude puts these people in a very special category because he says that individuals like this need to be dealt with patiently and mercifully by showing them Christian love. And this can be very, very hard when you encounter somebody that you think just doesn't get it. You don't understand why, why they can be so seduced by flashy showmanship and, and entertainment faith, and, and they don't have that solid foundation. You just don't understand that. Well, it requires patience to walk with people, and walking always takes some time. So Jude says, have a special heart for this particular group. Now, the second group that Jude mentions, though, they require a more direct and vigorous approach which he indicates by saying, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Years ago, when we would take Girl Scouts camping, my, my job has always been fire stuff, um, and I'm not exactly sure why, but, but, but it's always been fire stuff. And we would build these fires, and, and the most fun part of a fire for me was to watch the girls watch the fire. Now, now, you want to picture this. I'm talking about they were seven, eight, nine years old. And so we're all out there in the dark, and the fire is going on. And have you ever seen seven, eight, nine-year-olds with fire? Like, they're all watching it. We're watching it. Then we get closer to it. We're getting closer to it, and we're going to find a stick, and we're going to 
put it in the fire, and we're going to see what we can catch on fire. And, and there's always one, right? There's, there's always one that is just going to get a little bit too close, and you're going to have to grab them. You're going to have to grab them. And you're like, you, you've, you've probably seen that moment. You grab them by the back of the neck, and you just haul them out before they set themselves on fire. Because, see, fire is dangerous. And that's not something that you can have a lot of patience with. I don't want to see a kid go up in flames before I decide I need to pull them to safety. So you act swiftly and decisively. In, in this case, in, in cases that are this dire, you are God's instrument of salvation. That's what you're there for. And this can look like a multitude of things. It can look like getting somebody out of a cult, getting somebody into drug and rehabilitation centers, stopping someone from signing away their life savings to a televangelist who has, who has promised them the moon. There are cases where you have to act swiftly and decisively to snatch somebody out of the fire. And for as difficult as that group may sound, the final group that appears in this section from Jude is deep in the immorality of these false teachers. Even their clothing is stained and corrupted. In, in other translations of this, it comes out as their clothes are covered with their own excrement. That's how, yeah, ooh. That, that's how defiled, that's how defiled and beat down this group is. And so, so think about that. When, when you start seeing that visual, the stains and, and, and the destruction of clothing, and, and visually it looks like this, this person is, is beyond redemption at, at this point. And while we're also to have mercy on this group, Jude says we need to do so with fear. We need to do so with fear because this group is so far into it. They're so deep in a pile of excrement that we have to handle this with extreme caution so that we don't get pulled in to whatever it is that they're in the middle of. And yet, the good news is that even here, God's amazing grace can exchange their soiled garments for cloaks of righteousness. Because no one, no one, not even the most defiled sinner is beyond the salvation of God in Christ's redeeming work. So in short, we have to always remember the mercy that God has shown us is the same kind of mercy that we need to show the people who are around us. Jude concludes this letter with one of the greatest doxologies in the New Testament. Coming off of a letter that is filled with severe warnings and gloom and doom and beset with plague of false teaching, Jude lifts high God's power to triumph over our greatest challenges by writing, Now. To him who is able to keep you from falling and make you stand without blemish in his presence of his glory with rejoicing to the only God and Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. When all is said and done, God alone will keep us from falling and allow us to stand without blemish in the presence of his glory. Our salvation is completely secure because God's own purpose stands, and he is able to do all that he wills. Our job is to contend for the faith 
that was given to us through Jesus Christ so that all generations, future generations to come, may know this joy of the Lord, the peace of the Spirit, and the love of God. And despite the best efforts of false teachers and those who seek to lead us astray, we can be confident that the mercy of God and the love of Christ will see us through all the way to the very end. That, that is the good news from this very challenging letter. Let us pray together. Lord God, help us. Help us to not only be aware of false teachers and to move away from them, but also to show mercy and compassion and love to those who are wavering, those who are standing on the edges of the flame, and those who are covered and soiled. Lord, give us your mercy to give to them. Help us to be the church that builds itself up, that strengthens our firm foundation, that grows in faith and love and accountability, that we may seek to stick as close to your heart as humanly possible. In your name we pray. Amen.